From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 77. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, MailRoute, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. It is You sound fresh today. I feel good today. I'm good. completely mended. Oh, good. It's, it's good. I'm glad that you're feeling, uh, feeling fine. It's a good thing. We've got an action-packed show today. We do. There's a lot. There's a lot to cover. So much so that we, we have things in the document that we already kicked out <laughs> till next week. So it's one of those. It's one I of think. those weeks. Mm-hmm. But we should start off with some follow-up. Uh, yep. I see a very proud note here at the top. Well, I mean, uh, we I didn't think that Marcel Proust was going to come up on the, the podcast, but it did. And uh, you, you thought it was more like Dave Prouse, who played Darth Vader, than Marcel Proust. You know, I think um, that was genuinely where I was getting that pronunciation yeah, I think, from. I think so. Yep. <laughs> I think so. But uh, several people said that it's it's uh, it's Proust. So there you go. That's what several people... Several people say that I'm right. Who am I to argue? <laughs> I have found uh, that when people say you are right on the internet, you should embrace it and run with yep, it. Yeah, just, just say yes. Thank you. Yes. Great. Uh, we did learn something, though, from listener Gordon. We did. We learned a word about a word. So if you remember last week, I was saying that I liked the name Colossal um, and said that it had a sound to it, which made it sound big, but it's obviously not onomatopoeia. And listener Gordon wrote in to say that that is called an idiophone, when a word sounds like its meaning as opposed to the action of the word, for example, with onomatopoeia. So thank you very much, Gordon, for that little tidbit of information. Yeah, that was... a. Uh... Uh, for all I know, I didn't check on Listener Gordon it, that he may have made that word up, but it sounds great. So I'm going to say yes. That's again, thank you. That's awesome. It does a colossal. It's amazing and colossal. I uh, uh, somebody wrote in. A few people wrote in and asked about the Daily Kindle pa- newspaper that I mentioned. Um, they're like, oh, I'm intrigued. What's that all about? And the answer is, it's my local paper. It's the San Francisco Chronicle, um, and I get it because I want to know what's going on locally. I don't read it every day. I sort of go in. Th- there are times when I read it and times where I don't read it, sort of in cycles. But um, when my favorite sports teams are in action, I'm more likely to read it because they've got the articles about the sports. It's funny, Kindle newspapers, actually, because I've got a Kindle Voyage, um, I love them, actually. Um, they're super simple. It's text with like a single picture on some articles, you know, black and white, obviously, because the device is black and white. If you read on the iPad, they're in color. Um, But it's just there's no fancy layout. There are no ads. Um, They are uh, you can navigate by article. So if you don't want to read a particular article, you just sort of swipe up and you go to the next article. Uh, You can bring up a table of contents and jump to a different article. They're, They're actually pretty great and they're pretty cheap. Actually, if you compare them to your, you know, digital subscription to a newspaper that uh, lets you see it on the web or in the in an iPad app or something like that. And I'm, I'm really dreading the day that the, the Chronicle says we're not going to do the Kindle newspaper anymore if that if that ever comes to pass because they want to force me into their iPad app, which they just recently updated. And it's actually much better than it was because their iPad app up until about two months ago was the one that essentially it's the one that came out when the iPad came out or a few months later where they're like, Oh, newsstand is a thing and we'll build this thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it was very old and the new one is better, but still it's like, 
it, it brings you a big like grid of stories and you have to tap around and there's no just list of here's what we want you to read now or read today. Um, and it's got ads in it all over the place and uh, and it costs more. <laughs> and I rather read on Kindle, read text on a Kindle than on uh, an iPad, honestly. So, um, so yeah, it's it's one of those things that I don't know how many people actually even do Kindle newspapers anymore, but I kind of like it. That's like... Uh, that that's exactly what I want in something like that is I want a bundle of news in this case locally relevant to me dropped on one of my devices once a day in a fairly simple text format that I can read and the Kindle newspaper subscription actually does that so I still do that um and uh yeah so I know it's kind of old school and uh, if anything in an ebook reader can be old school this might be it do you kind of read it every day still the newspaper no, I don't. I don't read it every day. I read it. You know, I read it. Like I said, it's more likely when my sports teams are in in season because I want to read those pieces. Although sometimes I've already read them um, on linked to from the Twitter accounts of uh, of the of the writers. Uh, also, it's frustrating. The Kindle stuff is not tied into their subscriber database, so they have some subscriber features. Like you can read this if you're a subscriber. You can read this on the web now, but otherwise you'll need to wait until tomorrow morning to read it. And I can't read those <laughs> because I'm not a subscriber in that way i'm not in that database um so sometimes i'll read it it really is like if the spirit moves me uh, i and i do get in these cycles where i'm reading the paper every day and then other times where i'll go a week or two and i just i i haven't read it at all huh yeah well, it depends go. on what i'm depends on what i'm reading and what else i'm doing and sort of the, just the how the time of my life is if i'm if i'm reading a book I'm I'm less likely to read the read that on the on the Kindle because I'm reading the book and if I'm going to pick up the Kindle and do some reading I'm going to I'm going to do it. Also depends on what's going on in Twitter and Slack and email because that's uh one of my morning routines. We should talk about routines at some point, but one of my morning routines is I you know, I get up and I feed the dog and I I pour some tea that's been made by the automatic tea machine and I uh and I make myself some breakfast and uh I check Slack and email and Twitter. Um, and basically if there's not as much going on there, then, then I will move on to the newspaper. Whilst we're talking about news, I just wanted to touch on something real quick. Now I've mentioned this in many places that I actually try and actively avoid big news stories and things like that. Like I just don't keep up with the news, mm-hmm. um, for choice, but I have been checking out the Quartz app, um, huh. quite simply because it is, fantastic it's the best take on news i've ever seen uh effectively this app it's it's a iphone app I'll, I'll put a link in our show notes it basically treats news reporting like an iMessage conversation so it sends you little snippets it's laid out like a message conversation with bubbles and it sends you little snippets little uh, lines or whatever, and then you can ask for more information about it. They have the replies that you can send the Quartz app are displayed to you in little buttons. So you can say, like, give me more about this or tell me the next story. And they send charts, they send silly GIFs and stuff like that, like you're actually having a conversation. And it treats it like it's a real conversation, like it greets you good morning and, and stuff like that. And it has a really great... Um, I think it's fantastic the way that it does ads. So when you're done with all the news stories, it'll be like, oh, we, you know, there's nothing more now. We'll maybe let you know if anything's later. Oh, and by the way, it's brought to you by Mini, and then they should just show a picture of a Mini. Hmm. It's just like little things like that is really good, and it has notifications, but the notifications don't buzz or play sound on your phone. 
um, unless it's huge, huge news and you can choose what you want on and off. But Interesting. Even when it sends you the message, so it's sending you new messages, it shows the little animation of that, like in iMessages with the bouncing balls, which it doesn't need mm-hmm. to do that because it's not thinking. But I love that it does that because it makes it feel more alive. It's a very, very interesting app. And that's the main reason I'm looking at it because it's designed in a way that I haven't seen before, um, especially for for an application that does what it does. So I think it's worth at least just checking out. So there you go. Mm. All right. Listener Kathy indulged herself with a pineapple and pepperoni pizza. Yeah, so it's funny. We um, talked about pizza. That was that was something that we talked about in Ask Upgrade last week, and I mentioned my love again that some people are are horrified by for pepperoni pineapple pizza, which is just Canadian. It's a Hawaiian pizza without the Canadian bacon and pepperoni instead. If you want to think of it that way, if you want to try to make it fit into your boxes of pizza instead of just letting it be free like pizza should be, um, ooh, free pizza, yay! Uh, so uh, we talked about it, and that was last week. And then I went out to lunch with David Sparks on um, after the show, yeah, because I was in, in down in Orange County where he lives. And uh, I, I, we get to one of these. It's like a brew pub. It's got this enormous menu. It's the kind of menu where there's like a table of contents because there's so many things on the menu. And and I ended up uh, seeing that they had pizza, and I thought, you know what? <laughs> I had a pepperoni pineapple pizza, uh, and it was delicious. And <laughs> I tweeted pictures of it. And then, um, so thank you for that for the inspiration. And then, yes, listener Kathy also uh, also uh, took a, a picture of a. Uh, although hers had like a, a pineapple ring on it, which it I didn't think look is maybe, like the pineapple had been cooked. I think I think well you don't you don't really cook the pineapple. I mean you bake it you bake it with the pizza so it gets sort of softer. Sure. But you don't. But yeah, it looked like a kind of a a, a pineapple ring had been plopped down on it. I'm not sure that is ideal, but still, whatever. It's pineapple and pepperoni. It's good. it's going to be good anyway. Anyway, so uh, th- thank you. At least somebody has gotten the uh, gotten the word about pepperoni pineapple pizza. Thank you, listener Kathy. Okay, so what else do we have before we round out follow up this week? Uh well the the other big thing is my my uh my task management philosophy or lack of same mm-hmm. <laughs> that we talked about a lot um I really enjoyed having that conversation I thought that was fun to break from the um you know rehashing the news of the day and 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 get some get some topical you know stuff in that's a little bit different I thought that was I thought that was fun we should try to do that more um and what I heard from a lot of people was that, that that they are still struggling with uh trying to find a system that works for them or struggling that any system they try doesn't seem to work for them which is I boy I hear that that is that is definitely um uh something that I identify with uh so I just wanted to say you know we're all just kind of not, not not everybody can have their problems solved by some of these systems and you, you know you can either give up or you can just keep trying or you can build your own uh, system. I I was encouraged by the number of people I found who sort of feel like me that any any time invested in in uh, categorizing your to dos is time you could spend uh, doing things. And I totally understand the other argument there, which is that no, you're investing in organization so that it'll pay off with more productivity later. I totally understand that, but um, it's been a different a difficult thing for me to deal with. So it was nice to hear from people who also have have felt that way. And then I came across uh, a post by uh, Dr. Drang about, uh, and this was a conversation that actually happened in the incomparable Slack channel. Of, um, I think Lisa Schmeiser and and Dr. Drang were were, were talking about this, the um, uh, writing things down on paper, 
uh, you'll like this. It involves pens. Um, <laughs> and what Dr. Drang uh, wrote this post, and we'll link it to it in the, in the show notes, that it's um, it's called putting the paper in, in task paper. And he uses task paper as his... Um, as his uh, organizational system, the the app task paper. But what he does is um, he prints it. So he prints the to-do list out of task paper, and then he can take notes. He puts it in a binder. <laughs> he can take notes. He can check things off. And then he, he it sounds like he checks them off in the app at the end of the day. And, uh, and the next day, he'll print a new one. This is a good system. Because I, believe it or not, tend to disagree with uh, having a completely analog task management system, uh, mainly for the fear of losing it. Right, right. So this this keeps it around. I mean, he what he says is he doesn't want to rewrite the uh, the ones the ones that are still on there. He doesn't want to go and you know, copy them to a new list. So this keeps mm-hmm. a clean list every yep. day. Although what Lisa said is she finds that um, she does tasks. I thought this was really interesting. So many games that you can play with your own mind, right? Uh, she does tasks sometimes because she doesn't want to have to copy them to the next day's to-do list. That's a pretty great system. <laughs> Which is brilliant, too. So there's a lot there's a lot of ways to go here. But I, I, I think that uh, Dr. Drang's system is very interesting, and this is very Dr. Drang, actually, I feel, is mm-hmm. he's got a technological system that leads to paper. And I, I, I think that's kind of a cool idea, right? That That's a... Um, if it works for you and it works for him that he's using he's using an organizational app task paper to build these to-do lists but then he's printing them out and putting them in his binder and he's got his pencil and he's checking things off and writing things down and then at the end of the day he or or the beginning of the next day I'm not sure he kind of re-racks and does it again it's an excellent system indeed hmm. and you can use a pen with it which I love I do <laughs> I know, I know things about you. Um, I had one other entry, and this goes way back to when we talked about Back to the Future 2 on Mike at the Movies. Uh, and I just wanted to put a link, and we'll put a link in the show notes to it. Todd Vaziri, who works at Industrial Light and Magic, they do, he did the, um, among other things, I, he did that shot of the TIE Fighters coming out of the sunset in uh, in The Force Awakens. Yep. Um, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And, uh, but he sent a link out to this article that was in Starlog magazine in the 80s uh, that I just wanted to share. It's pretty cool. It is. You got to read it on like archive.org and a scan from the article. But it's it's interesting because it will make you think about Back to the Future a little bit differently and how the time travel works in it. And basically, I'm not sure I entirely agree with the theory, but it's really interesting. The idea of... If Marty changes the past, spoilers, by the way, for Back to the Future, a movie that came out 31 years ago. Um, uh, if Marty changes the past so that his family's got a nicer house and his dad's not a not, not an unsuccessful nerd, but is a successful nerd and uh, he's got a better truck and all those things. That's what happens at the end of Back to the Future. The question is, who's the Marty who grew up in that family? Like, if you believe that 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 you're creating like a parallel universe uh with time travel rather than just rewriting it there must have been a marty who grew up in that life and that isn't our marty our marty didn't grow up in that life he grew up in a different life um and and so it takes that and it runs with it and suggests that there's a second marty who grew up in that life who travels who also is working with doc brown but his doc brown doesn't know about meeting marty in the past or no his doc brown knows about meeting marty in the past right whereas marty's doc brown doesn't know 
Anyway, and it goes from there, and basically the suggestion is that that Marty ends up in the first Marty's timeline, <laughs> which is terrible because in that timeline, Doc Brown has been shot to death, <laughs> and his and his parent he doesn't have the truck, he just has the skateboard, and his parents' house oh. is ratty and ramshackly, and his dad is kind of a failure. <laughs> So they swap. Now, I'm not sure I buy that entirely, but it is a fascinating idea that there has to be a second Marty who grew up in that timeline. And where does he go? Now, maybe he goes to a third timeline. Maybe when, But the idea there is that when he travels back... Maybe and, they landed the DeLorean on top of it. Well, so no, the idea is, I, I think, that, that when he goes back in time, his Doc Brown is is prepared because his Doc Brown met met the original Marty. And so he probably, he says to Marty, don't, you know, don't change history, don't tell anybody. He goes... Um, he he uh, he uh, he has extra uh, plut- extra plutonium to use in the uh, in the time machine to get back because the because Do- Doc Brown knows what's going to happen and uh, he doesn't hit the the tree that they knocked over because they knocked it over in the first movie so they so they go back and uh, I, I think that's the idea is basically that Marty doesn't change history he just goes back to the present finds Doc dead uh, and that his parents now live in this worse house and he doesn't have his truck anymore and that's good luck marty and that's the end of his movie that we don't see anyway it's a it's a cool theory um and i wanted to share it so thanks to todd for for he said that he used to read that article like over and over and over again as a kid trying to understand the the wiggliness of time travel so it's fun fun theory Uh, thank you for sharing that but now i I feel bad for marty too now don't yeah (laughs) i feel very bad for him This week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Smile. And today, I want to talk to you about PDF Pen, the Swiss army knife for working with PDFs. With PDF Pen, you'll have everything covered, all of the basics covered for working with PDFs. So let's say that you receive forms or contracts and you want to sign them or fill in the forms, you know, fill in the boxes of the forms uh, without needing to write on them and scan them and all that kind of craziness. You can just fill them all in with PDF Pen all on your favorite computing device. You can make edits, highlight, and even use OCR so you can capture the text that's in that document so you can use it in other places as well. You'll also be like a PDF wizard when you use features like redaction, word export, page numbering, and even Bates numbering. The word export stuff is something that I use quite a lot because I sometimes receive contracts in Microsoft Word files and I need to sign them. And I don't know how I would do this without PDF pen because I don't want to print because I don't have a printer. I don't have a scanner either, so that would be, you know, I'd need all this new equipment. So I'm able to take a Word document, import that Word document into PDF Pen, sign it, and then export it back out as a Word document again. It's really fantastic. That's one of my favorite things, and I'm very happy that I'm able to do that. Talking about printing, scanning, scanning, even even with PDF, you'll be able to have a paper's office because you'll be able to deal with all of these documents digitally without ever needing to print or file them. You can just save them all on your computer. You can access them and do whatever you need to do with them with a lovely PDF pen. Smile has a bunch of great tutorials that were created by the lovely Mr. David Sparks, and these short videos will teach you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen. You can learn more about PDF Pen at smilesoftware.com slash upgrade. PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7 for the Mac require OS X Yosemite and work beautifully on El Capitan. And PDF Pen for iOS is available on the App Store. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show. Go and check out PDF Pen today. 
Jason, there is a story that we must talk about. Yeah, we must. Because I don't know if we'd be able to get away with it otherwise, and that is the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Apple Incorporated. The uh, little interesting scenario that's going on Mm. right now. So about a week ago, um, this all came to light uh, because Tim Cook published an open letter over on Apple.com. Now, this so far, I think, has been spoken about and written about everywhere that technology is spoken about or written about. Yes, and, and will continue to be. And yes. it changes. And it changes just since I put this in the document last night, or which which just for appear appearing behind the scenes about my enthusiasm of us diving into this topic is the topic. Actually, I, I literally typed. I guess we need to talk about this, huh? <laughs> But um, since I typed that in, the FBI director posted on a blog about national security, basically saying, uh, no, 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 this is just one thing that we're doing, um, and uh, it's fine, so you should let us do it. And uh, and then Congress can pass laws that that outlaw encryption later. Right? All right, let's do it. Um, And then Tim Cook this morning did a letter to Apple employees, and they posted an FAQ about... Apple's take on this on this issue too. So this is moving fast. It's not just that everybody's talking about it, but it's also happening uh, at a at a, a rapid rate. There's a there's a quite an impressive kind of war of uh, PR happening between Apple and the United States government. Um, I'm gonna actually put a link in the show notes to a great roundup of links and articles over at Mac Stories. They have a bunch of like notable things in there, so you can go and check all that stuff out. Now, basically, my feeling on this is there is no point in us going back and telling this story. Again, you can go and read the, the articles if you want to. But there were yeah. just a couple of parts that I wanted to talk about, um, which were which felt important to me. Um, and, and if you want to throw anything in that you can... The thing is, this topic is very messy, it's very complicated, and as Jason mentioned, it is still changing, and it is changing at a rapid pace. Um, And I think that really, the best thing for us to do will be to come back to this when the situation develops to a resolution, which is going to be over the next couple of months, and there may be big things that happen in over the next few weeks, but I don't think it's worth us spending an hour today going through the whole thing. But one of the things that I wanted to just touch upon is being in the United Kingdom and how this affects yeah, me. I was going to say. Because this isn't spoken about a lot, right? Because a lot of the news and a lot of the articles are generated in the US. Now, there is a lot of outrage in the US about this, of course, because, you know, if the FBI does something, sets a precedent. And, you know, and that's a problem there. But there's also the, the potential which Apple references is like, you know, once this software is created, once this version of iOS is created, it could find its way into the world, right? That is a risk. Um, there can be a lot of things put into place to try and stop that. But we don't know how this is going to develop, right? Like, for example, if the FBI get it and the FBI have this software because the court orders them to, and that's how it ends up being it could leak out, right? There is a possibility of that. Mm-hmm. And then anyone in the world can have it. Being in the United Kingdom, or also, just quickly, if if the government mandates that Apple need to change the way that iOS works, and it's like it can't be this secure anymore or whatever, you know, we don't right. really know how this is going to continue. So this is another example of, and this happens a lot, and this is probably going to upset some people, but I'm going to say it anyway, of, for some reason, the United States of America thinking that they run the entire world 
and can make decisions that impact everyone. Being outside of the US, we feel a lot of this kind of stuff that companies are told they need to do things or that things are, you know, laws are being put in place that would change everyone. And this is another one of those types of things. I'm in the UK. Why should my security be implicated because of a US law? And that is potentially how this is going to run. Unless what I hope would happen is that there would then be multiple versions of iOS. Some are in the US and some are outside. Because at least where we are at the moment in the European Union, the European Union tends to have more of a like harsher line on these types of things, I think. Um, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong, but at least I feel that way. Now, the United Kingdom has its own problems and we have our own stupid laws, uh, but they don't really seem to affect the wider world as much. Um, and this one is just yeah, being outside of it and looking in. It's, it's very frustrating to me that all of this is happening and that there are potential ramifications for everyone rather than people that are just in the U.S., yeah, it's true. I mean, we if you if you look at it on a on a broad scale, like just looking at Apple's financials, um, you know, the U.S. is is its biggest market. They feel that China is going to be its biggest market. Uh, the European market is roughly, I think, where the Chinese market is right now. It's a huge market, and so you've got these three entities whose markets are vitally important to Apple's business present and future, and. All of them have an impact, right? I mean, Apple is an American company, and so what the U.S. government wants to have them do, it definitely has a huge impact. But we've seen examples in the past where the EU has thrown its weight around and, uh, and, and made companies behave in certain ways. And sometimes those have ramifications worldwide because you don't want to have, you know, three different products in three different places. Um, and China is the same way. Although, I mean, one of the things is there's nothing stopping China from demanding certain things of Apple, other than the fact that it is difficult for Apple to comply with with them. Um, but if Apple is changing its strategy to open up cracks because it needs to for the for the FBI or for the Justice Department or for the NSA or for whoever in the U.S. government, then it uh, those cracks are open, and then and then China can say, well, we want that too. Like you, we know it exists, and if you want to do business in our country, you will give us access to that stuff too. And and so that's part of it is if once you engineer that thing in the 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 place that has the most leverage forces you to engineer it in, and then everybody else says, well, yeah, I want that too. So I mean, yeah, it's a mess. There's so many different things going on here. It's highly technical when you're talking about encryption. There are legal issues, and then there are these cases where there are ramifications way beyond specific issues because it does impact every you know potentially every apple product sold in the world even though it's a you know a request by the fbi in the united states and then you know you keep pushing it and it's not just apple it's everyone right sure i mean google is on the line here too um you know google's challenge is that that so many of their they're they're an american os vendor and and you know obviously services vendor uh with An- but with android they they make the operating system but they also got hardware partners so it's a little more complex there and that a lot of their hardware partners are not in the united states but still you know if this impacts apple then it's going to affect google and it's going to affect microsoft and that that's it that's going to be a challenge um and this is, I'd say, everything we know about this now, this is a fight that is being picked by the U.S. government. And it's being picked as a precedent, and it's being picked 
in the most extreme circumstances where this is about the phone of somebody who killed a bunch of people and pledged uh, pledged their support for a terrorist organization and it killed a bunch of people on U.S. soil. So it's going to be a very heated uh, conversation and it's and it's taking on Apple, which has been the most extreme in terms of the companies, the tech companies, in terms of defending its customers from intrusions from the government. So this is a choice that the FBI has really made. Um, and and there, that's a fact because Apple actually asked for this to uh, happen behind the scenes in a in an off the record, you know, sealed discussion. And the FBI said, nope, because <laughs> the FBI wanted this to be public. Um, this is this is their calculated uh, choice to raise this issue uh, with this heated example and with uh, the most extreme tech company in terms of fighting them on this stuff. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I find really interesting, and this might just be because I've been watching Making a Murderer, so there's a lot of mistrust about law enforcement in my brain. Uh, the idea of the past, the iCloud password being changed and, and what that means for all of this. Uh, John Gruber wrote a great article on this um, that, I'll, again, we'll put in the show notes. But that is a whole big thing that apparently uh, the county um, changed the past. The San Bernardino County changed the iCloud password for the account yeah. uh, that was attached to the phone. Uh, at the FBI's request, which is so... It just adds this, like, layer of what is happening here. The, and, and Gruber point, sums it up quite nicely, and, and I'm going to do it... Uh, I'm going to destroy it by trying to summarize it. And did they do this because they were stupid and didn't realize that this would then mean that the phone couldn't back up to iCloud where Apple could extract data? Or did they do this so they could set this whole thing up? Yeah. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's very Nobody knows. That was a yeah. There was a colossal IT failure there, but uh, you know, unless it wasn't a failure. But I, I think again, I would, I would, uh, I would choose incompetence over malevolence every time. Yeah, it's probably inco- technical incompetence because there's a lot of technical issues here. I, I, I expect the same. It's interesting that Apple was saying no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And meanwhile, somewhere, somewhere else was like, yeah, let's try that. See what happens. <laughs> and so that's what they did. They reset the password, and that was a mistake because otherwise it could have been on a, f- a familiar Wi-Fi network. Also, one thing that you won't find the FBI talking about a whole lot is that um, that both of the shooters had their own personal phones, and they destroyed those phones um, after the attacks, I believe, and before they mm. were they were found. They destroyed those phones, uh, and that that changes the narrative a lot. If they're like, well, we got to get access to his work phone that he used for work because there could be a lot of special stuff on that. And it's like, well. What are the chances that there's a lot of special stuff on that, given that they had other phones that belonged to them and that they specifically destroyed after the attacks so that you couldn't see what was on them? All right. You know, but again, that 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 clouds the narrative. So that doesn't really come out. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing. I will say one thing that that I have learned in all of this is um, brute forcing a passcode, which is what the FBI wants Apple to do and which it can, you know, Apple could even do on uh, devices beyond the 5C because it turns out that the uh, secure enclave uh, firmware can also be altered theoretically by Apple to allow this. And that's what the FBI wants is to uh, attach this iPhone to a computer and 
just send it passcodes until it unlocks, you know, and not auto, not auto wipe. They want to modify that and be able to send it remotely. So that instead of sitting there going, Oh, 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 oh one, you know, they, that you can just have a computer going boop, 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 and trying all of them until it gets it open. That was my sound effect of a computer. Very good. Boop. It boops is what it does. So, um, you know, in brute force scenario like that, uh, four digit passcode is going to fall really fast. Um, so Apple has already switched another example of Apple trying to kind of like outpace this Apple already has switched to recommend that people use six digit passcodes, which really helps in terms of the amount of time a brute force method would take. And if you go to an alphanumeric passcode, which I, I, I have now. And, um, since I got touch ID, um, and I, I, I would recommend, uh, that's much harder to be brute forced. So, you know, okay. I, and again, it's like, well, I can hear somebody saying, well, what are you saying before we commit crimes? I'm like, no, you know, this is the thing is I have nothing to hide. I'm not a lawbreaker is the is is the exact wrong thing to say, because this starts with uh, searching a, a horrible crime like this. But there are lots of places that it can end up where things that you do that you're fine with, things you believe could end up being something that is uh, is sought, and uh, you know that, that we carry our lives in those in these little devices, and it's very important. Um, I actually think it's not just important in terms of us as a society in in the world, not just in the United States, but I think it's also important in terms of technology because if it becomes very clear that the data we put on our phones is um, is compromised and viewed by everybody or viewable by everybody. One of the things it's going to do is it's going to hinder the progress of technology mm-hmm. <laughs> potentially because people will, will start to say, I can't trust my phone. I'm not going to use that method. I'm going to use different methods. And that's kind of crazy, but that could happen. So I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot here and it's ongoing and I'm firmly in the, in, in Apple's camp on this one. I really am. I think that this is a, I think the the law enforcement always wants everything it can possibly get, and it is the job of uh, everybody else in society to say uh, there there are, there's a line you cannot cross because uh, yes they want to make us safe, but they also want to know everything and have complete control and have the right to do anything they want. And down you know police states and totalitarian states can be very safe and very low on crime, but they're not a place anyone will want to live. And, and so you got to back off that and you got to say, where do we draw the line where we give law enforcement power to enforce the law and to investigate horrible crimes without opening the door to governments and criminals from looking at all of the things that we do in our lives. And, uh, you know, I think, I think Apple has to push back on this because at this point, the, the environment in the United States government it seems to be that there's nobody else who is going to say no because they don't understand the technology and they don't understand the ramifications. And it is very hard to stand up and say no when somebody says these are these are radical terrorists who killed innocent people in California. Uh, why do you want to? As one senator said, Senator, U.S. Senator said last week, why do you want to protect the terrorists like Apple does? Uh, somebody has to stand up and say this isn't about protecting terrorists. This is about protecting the citizens of uh, of our country and free people all over the world and giving them privacy and security. Let's leave it there on that for today. And I'm sure we'll come back to this over the next couple of weeks. I'm sure I'm sure there's more to come. All right, so we actually both have uh kind of pet topics today. 
things that that we really that both of us really care about and the other one is that maybe a little bit lukewarm about i don't know but we'll yeah. see way to sell it mike get ready get ready for half the host to be less interested people Woo! we may we may, i'm what we're probably going to be doing now is splitting our audience right so we're, we're going to be tickling the fancy of 50 percent at a time but I'll, I'll be enthusiastic i promise to be enthusiastic about what you're talking about no i sorry i can't make that promise so uh, I'm always interested in this every single year. It's Mobile World Congress. So this is where tons of mobile phone stuff happens. And usually it's a bunch of Android phones because Apple's yep. never there. Uh, Correct. And they also have a lot of, you know, now we're getting a lot of additional products as well because mobile phone manufacturers manufacture tablets and cameras and wearables and all that kind of stuff. But there were two phone announcements that happened yesterday that I wanted to touch on because uh, I think it's showing an interesting, a few interesting developments and maybe some stuff that I would like to see come to my phone of choice. So Samsung announced the Galaxy S7 and the S7 Edge. Um, and I'll put some links in the show notes to some videos and kind of first uh, hands-on type stuff from those. And I wanted to run for you through uh, a few of the features in the S7 line that I think are very interesting. Now, this first one, bear with me, <laughs> an SD card slot. Now, Samsung removed this in the S6 because they removed the ability to have a... The back used to come off, right, on on the Galaxy phones. But in the S6, it was all sealed in, so the SD card slot wasn't available anymore. But now they've put it back in. It looks like a SIM card tray. Now, the reason that I think an SD card slot is interesting is it removes the 16 gigabyte problem because the phones are expandable. Now, I don't think Apple would ever add an SD card slot to the iPhone. Correct. But I think it is an interesting thing to think about as a way to remove something that we all consider to be an issue, which is the 16 gigabyte iPhone, the fixed storage. I don't think Apple thinks it's an issue. Oh, I no, I never. I was very <laughs> specific in saying that we think it's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it allows you to do a phone with a lower spec in terms of storage and say, look, if you want more storage, just throw in a card. It does that. And it allows you to let it grow over time, right? You can keep expanding it. Um, And this actually brings me on to, this wasn't a phone that was announced at Mobile World Congress, but it is a really interesting take on phone storage. And it's a phone called the Nextbit Robin. And what this does, this phone, it's an Android phone. um, It comes with a 100 gigabyte cloud account. I think every single phone is 32 gigabytes. They don't offer anything else. And what it does is the, the OS is built so that it will automatically offload data to the cloud. But not just your photos and that kind of stuff, but also applications and the data stored inside of applications. So they are removed from your phone in, from a storage perspective and saved in the cloud. And what they do is those applications, their icons go gray and you can download them on demand. And I think this is really interesting. Like, if I look at some of the apps on my phone, I may use them very rarely. And having that data, having that storage back might be good for somebody who has a smaller phone with the ability to just grab the application within, like, you know, 30 seconds as a wait for it to download. And this, the idea of everything happening automatically, you know, like it's just, oh, the phone handles it for you, feels like a very Apple way to solve this problem. 
Yeah, I mean, it introduces a bunch of other issues, though, right? It introduces the issues of uh, what if that's an app that you only ever use when you're out in the woods? <laughs> it's your hiking app, right? Then you have to either set it as being don't delete or... Which you can you, do. Yeah, but that, yeah. again, then, you have, then you're doing app management in terms of manually saying what do I want to sync and what do I not. Sure. Or, or you know, depending on your... Uh, you're somewhere and you've got a limited data plan and now you're somewhere and you're on cellular and and now you have to download. Um, there, there are issues. I mean, it, it's clever. It, it's clever. And and I, I feel like at some point this is going to happen with all of our devices is you're not going to think about storage anymore because transfer speeds will be so huge and our data allotments will be so great and the intelligence of these devices will be so great that you won't really even know what's on your what's on your device and what's in the cloud. That that's where we're we're going eventually. Yeah, I think so. And so going back to the so that that was one thing. But going back to the S7 again, a couple other features that it has. It's waterproof up to one point five meters for thirty minutes, which I think is something that we can all agree is something we'd like in the iPhone. Right? Just let it be waterproof. Yeah, exactly. It has uh, wireless charging by induction, like the Apple Watch. You can put it on a pad. Uh, and it also has fast charging. I would like both of these features on the iPhone. The fast charging stuff is really cool. Um, I don't know the statistics because all the Android phones differ, but it will get you to a much higher percentage in a quicker period of time, right? Mm. Like the, it's. I know this happens a lot with the, with phones, right, that they charge quicker up to a certain point and then it's like the last 20% takes the majority of the time. But these phones are built and Android is built with the capability to get to that point much faster, which is very interesting. But the key feature that I really like here is an always-on display. So the black area of the display, right, when it's off, you know your phone's just black, you can have uh, the S7 display information to you, like the time and date. You can have a calendar on there, or you can even have notifications pop up, and they'll just pop up on the display. The display doesn't turn on. It just appears in those areas, and I think it's because yep. they, they use a Super AMOLED display. Yeah. Now, those features, especially those last three, I mean, the SD card slot, I don't care for it, but it's, it is an, an option to solve a problem. But those last three features, I want all of those things in my iPhone today i'm i'm a i'm a wireless charging skeptic i'm not sure it's it's all in the details there but i I tell you why i would like it and it's the apple watch that's made me want it i put my phone in the same place every night Mm -hmm. i would like to just put it down as opposed to find the cable and plug it in and i know that's such like a what is wrong with you kind of thing but i really like that i because my apple watch charger is fixed to my bedside table and just taking it off and putting it down and picking it up again, I like that. Because as well, a lot of the time, I'm putting my phone on charge when the room is dark. And I have a few cables. I have like a, a an iPhone cable and a MacBook cable plugged into the same part next to my bed. And I will guarantee you, no matter whatever I do, I always end up with the MacBook cable in my hand. So then I have to find the iPhone cable. So I put the MacBook cable down and I pick up the MacBook cable again, right? Like this happens every night as, and then I have to try and find where to plug it in and I plug it in and I put it down. I would much prefer to just rest my phone on the little charging cradle or whatever and it just charges. 
that's nice. A couple things. One is that the Apple Watch can only charge that way. And, and uh, you know, these phones that can charge by induction will also be able to charge via a wire. Because mm-hmm. one of the challenges with the Apple Watch is you have to bring that thing with you, the little puck, everywhere you go. Because it's the only way to charge that thing. You can't, yeah. you can't double up with a lightning cable or something like that. Um, and, and, again, I, I think it's in the details. If, if every device that you own, more or less, ends up being something that you can have, a, you know, you can have a pad in a couple of places in your house where you can lay things down and they charge, then uh, that's, that's, that's great. I just, that's not a feature that super excites me in induction charging. It's, it's, it's fine. I see why it appeals to you. I think waterproofing is more exciting because, you know, I was just in uh, Orange County over the weekend and my mother-in-law went and got a new iPhone because her Mm. iPhone uh, fell in the toilet. Oh man. (laughs) Yep. Yep. What do you think about the always on display stuff? Uh, I like that. I think that's a great feature. You got to have an an OLED screen to do that because yep. of the way, like on the Apple Watch, because you need to um, use power. The way it works is it only when you light up a pixel is the only time it uses power, and that's different from the um, the LCD screens that have to shine the bright lights behind uh, in order for you to see anything. So I think it's very clever, and I would love to see Apple do something like that. Um, you know, on the Apple Watch too. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> the Apple Watch uh, should have an always-on display, too. But yes. uh, they would have to kill animations and reduce... Th- there's a lot of work they would have to do, and it's unclear whether they could do that and have all-day battery life, because if they could, they perhaps would have, and they didn't, so they probably can't. But I would love to see that on an iPhone. I would love to be able to get the well, time and some basic notifications on a glance on the iPhone without at, at any at any moment. But There are um, Android... Yeah where devices that do this and they have all day battery yeah. life and they show the time and they show basic information always. So it is technically possible to do. So I would love to see Apple do that too, please. Um, yeah, I think if we don't get uh, with either Watch OS 3 or with Watch 2, basically if we get to the end of this year and the Apple Watch isn't always on, that I think that's like that's ridiculous to me. I think that that is something that has to happen. Um, because it's fr- it is frustrating as an Apple Watch user to like I'm looking at my watch right now, it's down over there where it's holding the pen the pen for my t- pen tablet and I can't see the time. Yeah, you know, and and the gesture doesn't work every time. If the gesture worked 100 percent of the time of me lifting my wrist, then it would be mainly okay. But it doesn't, right? Because technology right. doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another phone which is interesting in different ways is the LG G5. So a couple of things the LG G5 has. One of them is a dual camera system, and this gives the phone a wider field of view and I think helps with focusing. The reason I bring that up is because there was a rumor earlier this year that the 6 Plus will have two uh, cameras for this stuff, um, which will allow the the phone to be able to push photography in a further way. But what interests me about the LG G5 is uh, this, this modular nature of it. So you can pop out the bottom of the phone, like the chin comes off, And it brings the battery out with it. And currently they have two other, they're calling them friends, which is one of the worst names I've ever heard uh, in technology. I don't know why you'd call them friends. Call them modules or adapters or anything else. Friends is such a weird name. Um, But these, they're basically additional functionality that you can add to your phone with hardware. So one of them is a camera grip. And what this does is you plug this into the bottom. It gives you a bigger battery. Um, there is a grip that you can hold, so it's more like how you would hold an actual physical camera, right? So you can put your hand around it and grip it with one hand. Um, it has a zoom dial, a shutter button, and a dedicated video button 
as well. So if you are someone who really loves to take photos with your phone, it gives you additional functionality to do that in hardware, which is interesting. They also have a time of Bang & Olsen uh, to have a DAC and AMP built into it that you can plug in. This does introduce a second 3.5 millimeter audio jack to the phone, which is very peculiar, um, but it allows you to play high quality audio streams. So these are things that are interesting. Apple would never go down this route, but I really right. like the idea of being able to put together your favorite phone. Well, that's the best thing about, about Android is that you can have this level of variation because most, most almost all people do not want the, uh, you know, some of these features. But, uh, exactly. you know, it's a differentiator for, for LG and uh, lets you customize and, it, you know, more like a computer where you can mm -hmm. kind of uh, slide things in and out and have those modules that you want installed and not the ones you don't. And I think that's I think that's very interesting. Yeah, this is not uh, the, the, the thing that's interesting here, I think, for me, is this idea of the dual camera system, because there have been rumors that Apple yeah. is working on something like that. And that makes a lot of sense. How do you up your photography game? Because that's one of the places where Apple needs to continue to improve, where the competition is strong. And just just even without competition, you want the iPhone camera to be better. And so the more clever things you can do with software and multiple sensors to make that better and improving the sensors is is really important. I'm I'm a little less I I'm one of those people who just rolls their eyes when I hear about high quality audio because sure. most audiophile stuff, sorry audiophiles, most audiophile stuff is not actually provably better than less audiophile-y stuff. But um and I believe the B&O thing that goes in this phone is actually up sampling <laughs> which why but uh, anyway it, it, but it, there's a market for it because there are people who pay a lot of money mm -hmm. for the highest quality uh dac and amp and that's you know bless them and uh and the camera thing is interesting because you know we've seen these like uh things you attach onto an iphone onto the edge of an iphone that make it into a camera and stuff so it's it's an interesting idea yeah. to say you know you pop in this module and you're uh and your your phone is now a, a really good camera. That That's a cool idea. I've heard him talk about this in shows as well, but do you remember David Sparks had that little camera, XOXO? Yeah, that's the, that's the one, yeah. So like you would, you would take it, you didn't even need to have it plugged in, but you'd plug in this camera at the end of your iPhone. So there is a market for this stuff. And the, the modular nature is interesting to me. I've, I've had my eye on and will continue to watch out for Project Aura, which is a company that Google bought, um, and they're basically trying to build a smartphone where you would basically compile it with all of the things that you want. Yeah. So, That's never going to happen. Uh, well, you know, if it does, it'll be amazing. If right. it doesn't, then shame on that. Oh, there was one thing I wanted to go back to the Galaxy S7 for a moment, and I'm sorry I forgot to mention this, but I want to go back to this quickly. I want to talk about the design of the phone because I think the... Uh, the, Sam, the, the the argument of Samsung copying Apple, I think, is a little played out at this point. Um, we know it happens. You can continue to show me the phones stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Like, I understand, right, that the grill placement and the headphone jack placement, it looks very similar. All right, I get that. But I wanted to draw attention to the Edge. So this is the the phone, the Galaxy S7 and the Galaxy S7 Edge. The Edge is a, is a slightly larger phone, and... It has a screen which wraps around the edges, right? So the screen actually wraps around the edge of a curved glass. I think this is one of the best-looking smartphones available today. The, the, the curved screen 
adds a little bit of utility and functionality, but not a ton, but it adds some extra bits, and, and they're putting <laughs> more into very, it. Very little. They've put more into it. I mean, whatever. Like, But that's not what I'm talking about here. Like, I just think that the design of this is very different to what we've seen before. Nobody else makes a phone like this, uh, and I think it looks stunning. And I wanted to point that out because I think in our community, all Samsung ever get is you copied, you copied, you copied. But this is something that they did on their own that I think looks good. And I look forward to the email that I will receive um, and being told, as I'm usually told when I ever say things like this, that I should switch to Android because I don't deserve Apple devices. (laughs) So I welcome that feedback. from. I was just going to say that the edge display is very Samsung in that it's something that they know how to do technally and have no idea what to do with it. And it's not useful in any way, um, and they're desperately uh, see, adding I mean, look, and they're desperately to, adding software features to try to explain how it could be useful. But they're really not good at software, and they're really not good at user interface. So it's just kind of pointless. I agree; it is a very impressive bit of technology. It's it is probably the other premium smartphone, really, compared to the iPhone. Well, it, is, it the, is is the gal is the Galaxy S six and now seven Edge because that's the that's like the high end. Of the of the high end of the of the Samsung phones, and um, I think it's fair. Uh, I think it was fair for people to really knock Samsung for the S6 because um, they were not just aping Apple, but they were turning their back on some of the key features that people want in an Android phone to ape Apple, like the fact that it didn't have upgradable storage. Yeah, and they've gone back and fixed some of that now, which is good. And, and they they addressed that with by putting it in the SIM tray, I think. But it's um, it, it, it that was I think a fair a fair uh accusation for the s6 to because i think it was the story was not just that they were uh copying apple but they were actually kind of like breaking some of their important features that their customers had relied on in order to copy apple which is like no don't do that that's a that's bad but you know i i yeah so i think the edge is an impressive device i just i'm skeptical because all the you know samsung the story of samsung to me is that they they have very impressive hardware and then they put their kind of software junk on top of it and most of their software is junk and it makes Android mm-hmm. worse. And it does. They they try to justify features that they add that are kind of dumb, but they can add them because they have the hardware prowess. And then they just kind of can't uh, live up to it with their software. That's I think my that's my knock on Samsung. And I'm I'm surprised that they haven't gotten. I mean, I guess they've gotten better at it, but it's still a problem with them. Not really. It took them six months to put the most recent version of Android out. <laughs> I'm just so, saying, if I know. if if I were to buy an Android phone today, I would not buy a Samsung. I would buy a, I would buy one that's running stock Android. I would buy yeah. one of the Nexuses. I did actually buy a 5X, but I did it because it was cheap, and I wanted a reference system so I can I can say, oh, here's what this app looks like on Android, and I didn't want to spend the money on a on a six. Yeah, I am going to buy a Nexus 6P at some point because I'm very interested in it, and uh, I, I like to have an Android device around. So that's that's on my yeah, shopping list. Sure. I want to I want to throw out one thing which is the Sony Xperia ear. Um just because I've talked about this before, this idea that uh perhaps the future is not VR goggles or glasses that you wear with cameras on them. Perhaps the future is things like things that talk to you and that you talk to. Um and I think it's interesting that people are increasingly interested in and intrigued by the Amazon Echo. Um, not just Dan Morin. And uh, I think this is because that's a, you know, a speaker, but it's also a voice interface that that just sort of hangs out and waits for you to talk to it. And uh, the Xperia ear is this thing that Sony is doing. And I have I, I'm not going to make a judgment about whether this is going to be a good product or not. I have my doubts, but 
Um, it's interesting in that it is the idea there is you stick it in your ear and then you can talk to it and you can hear what it has to say. And it's paired with, with your Sony Xperia phone. And I think they even are going to make like a thing you can clip on your shirt that is a camera and the idea of like, and again, I think, I think this is not the right approach now, but I think that as technology improves, these are going to be approaches that are, are interesting. The idea that instead of wearing Google glass, you, you're going to just stick a, a thing in your ear and then your intelligent agent will talk to you and you will talk back and it knows where you are and it's talking to your phone. I do think that that that's sort of where it's going. So I thought it was interesting that Sony actually had a product at mobile world Congress that is a phone accessory. That is just a thing you stick in your ear and and you're saying, isn't that just sort of a smart Bluetooth uh, headset kind of, but you know, they're trying to, they're trying to make it more like it's a, an Amazon echo that is just stuck in your ear. That's interesting, but impractical, it seems. So I always find Mobile World Congress interesting. I think that there's some interesting stuff happening in Android. I'm happy that it continues to happen because there's a lot of competition there. And you can see how they compete with each other and they try and push things forward. Not everything works, but at least there's stuff happening. So, yeah, it would be a, not a very interesting world if everybody if it was just Apple and uh, and then everybody else was just sleepy. Exactly. Apple needs to be motivated, and uh, and competition is good. This week's episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. I love FreshBooks, and I want to tell you about FreshBooks because I think they're awesome, and they're out on a mission. And this mission should be shared with you. They are trying to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running businesses. So much stress in businesses can be tied up in money. And FreshBooks helps you with this. It all starts with their pain-free invoicing. Every Friday, I sit down and I send out invoices. And it's so simple with FreshBooks. One of the great things that I love doing is I go to my iPad Pro and I open up FreshBooks on one side and maybe in Safari or something, I open up Chrome in another so I can check off of our sponsor system and I'm able to just fire out all of these invoices so quickly. I'm able to use their mobile app as well to do this on my iPhone and my iPad. I'm able to check on invoices and everything and set up new clients. It is so, so simple to do. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice. You can even have your company logo on there so it makes it all nice and personal. And FreshBooks give your clients tons of ways to pay you. You can integrate with services like PayPal. You can also receive payments by card. And if people want to send you checks, you can put all the information that they're going to need for that as well. This can seriously improve how quickly you get paid, especially with their online methods. In fact, FreshBooks customers get paid five days faster on average. And I know this. Sometimes I send out an invoice and it's paid within minutes because the company that I've sent it to, they like to do things online. It comes through to them. They open it up. They click pay, put in their information, and it's done. You can see whether or not a client has looked at an invoice as well so you can make sure that it's been seen and you can keep track of all of that. You can easily keep track of your expenses as well. If you're in the US, you can automatically import your bank transactions for easy reconciliation and their recently revamped mobile app, which looks fantastic and I like. I really love that it has Touch ID built into it because that's great. You know, I want this stuff to be secure and Touch ID allows me to do that. Um, you can even create expense reports and you can scan in all of your uh, receipts and stuff like that in the mobile app. It's super simple to do. Support is at the core of FreshBooks. They really believe in it. They have no phone tree. You call and someone will pick up. 
getting started on FreshBooks is extremely simple. You don't have to be a numbers person. I definitely am not, and FreshBooks helps me with all of that. And they're offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show with no credit card required. To claim your 30 days of unrestricted use, go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter the code upgrade in the how you heard about us section so they know that you came from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. So what's your topic, Jason? Oh, my topic is home automation. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've had this on the schedule for a while. I just wanted to touch on it. I thought it would be fun to talk about something that's a little less tied to the news of the day. I got a, uh, I got an Amazon Echo, as mentioned earlier. I, I got one over the weekend. All of my friends are buying them. Federico just bought one. Tiffany and Marco just bought one, yeah. Why did you do it? I did it because I feel like enough people are trying it and using it and then integrating it into their lives that it it seems like there's something there hmm. that this is not the none of those people who bought them have reported to me that they use it for a while and now they don't use it anymore instead they keep saying oh i use it for this thing now and now i use it for this other thing and i think that's interesting and it shows that amazon keeps trying to improve the product and tie it in more more stuff um and so I was I was intrigued by that, and I thought, well, I need to I need to actually try this. I was gonna I was gonna buy it when it first came out, and you know, Dan basically said he was gonna buy one. I said, well, then you go ahead and you write about it. And it's become one of his favorite things. So I bought one. I'm also trying to find replacements for my uh, my audio stuff in my house because the Logitech stuff is is kind of fading fading away. The Squeezebox stuff and doesn't support Apple Music and um and doesn't do you know it doesn't have Bluetooth, and so it's kind of it's more problematic although the things i i still like about it so i've been trying some sonos gear out and then i decided i would try the the echo for that too because it's a speaker and internet connected and it's got bluetooth so i can attach my phone to it if i want to listen to a podcast or something like that so uh so yeah so i bought one and i set it up over the weekend what are you liking about it like what is it adding or what are you replacing well, it's I've got it in the kitchen where I have had uh, I, I tried out a Sonos speaker there and I've, I had the Logitech squeeze box there for quite a while. Um, and I, you know, it's it's taking some getting used to. It's tied into this Amazon ecosystem. Um, I don't have access by, by, via vo- voice control to all of my music. I if I want to listen to Apple Music, for example, I, I have to stream it from my phone because it's tied to Amazon's Prime Music Library. And Amazon's Prime Music Library has a bunch of stuff. I haven't uploaded my entire music collection onto Amazon, so that's I can't sort of arbitrarily tell it to play one of my playlists or or all the songs from a particular artists that I have in my library. Um, it doesn't. I'm less far along than I think some people will be with it because it doesn't integrate with a lot of the home automation stuff that I do have. I think this is one of the problems is that it's so early for this stuff that a lot of it hasn't uh, hasn't really uh connected with with everything else they're still sort of competing in their own silos in some extent so i've got a couple of lifex light bulbs and there's there's no native support on the echo for that uh there's there's a task i think they call it where you can connect uh and it doesn't work i can't get it to i can't get it to control my my light bulbs um it, i can get it to control a wemo sm- switch like dan morin does um i can't get it to talk to the nest thermostat because Nest doesn't have direct integration, and the third-party thing that connects has apparently run into its API limit with with uh, Nest. 
Um, what what so third-party thing is that? There's a third-party connection. See, this is one of those things where you can do third-party connections inside uh, the Echo where it's, like I said, I think it's called a skill. It's a skill. Um, and basically a skill is like a plugin that um, goes out to the web um, and does something and then brings the information back. But it's not something that's programmed directly by Amazon. Have you taken a look at Wink? I have. This is something that Dan Moran suggested, and I'm using it for something. Yeah. Yeah, so there are there are connections, and I have more to explore. But it's just interesting that a lot... I've run into a lot of um, roadblocks. Mm-hmm. But um, the nice thing about it is... It is it is good at some things, and it's a Bluetooth device, and that that's actually great because one of the challenges I had in my um, in my kitchen was that the the squeeze box doesn't have Bluetooth, and so I, if I wanted to play something from my phone, I have to plug it in to a cable, and it's nice to not have to do that, and so I've got access to everything. It'll play everything that I've got uh, on my phone as well as everything that it has access to. And there is something nice about being across the room and saying, you know, play this kind of music, and it does a, you know, an Amazon Prime playlist shuffle. Um, that's that's pretty cool. So I think I think this is a good idea for a product. I'm a little surprised. One, I'm surprised that Sonos doesn't have voice stuff built into their stuff yet, and I'm a little surprised that Apple hasn't built a little home hub with a speaker and with Siri built in. I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen a HomeKit essentially hub with siri built in because the appeal one of the appeals of of the echo is that it has really good microphones it can pick up uh sound a lot better than the than your iphone Mm -hmm. can uh so you can control it from all over the place and it's you know and it if your phone's in your pocket you can't control siri right then because it's in your pocket so you got to take it out and all that and this is just it's it's ambient it's just in your house and uh, you can send it commands and i think and then it'll play music and it'll talk to you and things like that. I think that's pretty smart. I think that's clever. I think having a device that's not just, you know, oh, go to your iPhone for that or go to your Apple Watch for that. But like, no, I've got this hub in my house that talks to my other stuff and talks to me. I think that's a good idea. So I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen more of these. I suspect the Echo seems to have gotten some momentum. I suspect we will. Yeah, it seems more and more possible that this type of thing could exist because the Echo exists and is seeming to well, at least in our world, games and traction. Who knows how many people are actually really buying this thing? Well, you know, they had a Super Bowl ad. Um, they're, they're, they've been supply constrained. It's often very hard to find. You know, it goes in and out of stock. Uh, they, they, um, one of the reasons that I bought one. This may have happened for several of us. Is that uh, they were suddenly saying it'll ship right away. <laughs> it's like, wow, it'll ship right away. I won't have to wait for three weeks to get the new shipment in. That's pretty great. So, um, but I think. I sometimes I think that too much is made of the idea that in our circles people are interested in something and that and that doesn't mean that other people will be interested in it because the way I've always approached it and I found this to be the case is tech savvy people are not how should I put this tech savvy people are telling us what non tech savvy people will want 2 years from now 4 years from now 6 years from now um I think that I I have found that to be more often the case, um, especially when it's not like, oh, well, I picked up this new gadget because it's a new gadget and I pick up all the new gadgets. But it's like, no, I really like this one and I've integrated this into my life in this interesting way. I feel like more often than not, um, when you observe the, 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 the early adopters, you are getting a read on what the world will do later. Yeah. 
right? And so that that that's what intrigues me about this is that is that this is an interesting product that might point the way to something that that has you know it's the equivalent of having that all whole home computer that you talk to that's in a science fiction movie. This is basically that. It's Amazon plopping a microphone and a speaker down in the middle of your house and you can talk to it and it tells you what's going on. And uh, that's that's cool. And, you know, a phone-focused company like Apple uh, didn't do that. Yeah, well, because they think... I guess that it should all be in the phone, right? Yeah, like or the, the Apple T- or the Apple TV remote. I guess. Yeah. I mean that that's that's the interesting thing is if you're if yeah. I mean I guess you can. It's in the phone and the watch and the Apple TV remote. And I think what's intriguing about the Echo is that for some people in some circumstances it adds that level of of ambient sensing, right? Where you don't have to do anything, take anything out, push any buttons. Uh, this is true if you've got your iPhone. Um, out somewhere laying around, but if you've got it in your pocket, you can't really talk to it in there. And and it, its microphones are not gonna they don't they aren't as effective as picking the stuff up as the as the Echo is. I don't I don't know. It may be ridiculous. It may be a ridiculous product, and I may end up not liking it. But I I feel like it got to the point where I wanted to try it. So you know, and I've got my my house is a is a, a mess. I mean, I don't need to go into more details about this, but you know, I've got I've got the I've got this. Um, the Nest uh, thermostat. I wrote about smart thermostats for Wirecutter and Sweet Home. I wrote about IP cameras like the like the Nest Cam and and the Canary, and there are a bunch of others for for Wirecutter. Um, I, I got that team making machine <laughs> that yeah. that is not that. There's something to be said for devices that are not smart but are smart. You know, there it's a dumb device. It isn't connected to the internet. It isn't connected to Bluetooth or anything. But it's does some clever things. Yeah, it it moves. It, you know, it, it makes tea on a timing schedule. It'll drop the bat, boil the water, drop the basket, pull the basket back out again, and beep at a particular time. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, although immediately Dan Morin's thought was uh, when he got one was it would be great if I could like tell it to go with my with an app on my phone. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fine, yeah, I suppose. Um, but uh, I don't know the, the the. But there are some things you could do, right? Like I'm sure you could. Could you plug it into a Swima switch? No, and have, no? no. No, this is and the same with the dehumidifier that I have in my house. That uh, it it powering it on and off at at the plug does not turn it on and off. I tell you what, we need somebody to create a little robot thing, button pusher. That yeah, it's just a button pusher, little actuator, little uh-huh. button pushing robot that probably arm. already exists. Beep. Yep. What's the sound effects today? Tied it to a Raspberry Pi, and you know it, it. It crawls along your, it crawls along your your uh, your kitchen counter. John Syracuse would say that's still not a robot, um, and pushes the buttons that you need to. So I have to say that the uh, the connected home stuff is becoming more and more prevalent in my life. I feel like I'm talking about it more often, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Like for example, we've been talking about it quite a bit on Connected. Stephen and Federico have been going down this route a lot more than I have. Federico also just bought an Echo. Um, and we spoke about that on on last week's episode. Uh, I the only thing that I have is a canary, um, which I bought recently as a, as a home security device. And having something like that is opening my eyes up to more. Um, but I'm not really going to be digging in too much right now because I'm waiting until we actually buy our own place before I start putting stuff like this in. Like, I want to nest and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I want to have all of that, but it's kind of pointless putting it into the house that I don't plan to be in for, for hopefully too much longer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, 
Well, then you'll move into some place that's got old wiring, and, <laughs> and you'll be foiled again. To yeah. Take it from me. Um, and and that's I think I think one of my questions about smart home stuff in general is how can we get to the dream? Because the challenge is you want you want a house that feels like a normal house, at least in our for some values of normal, um, but is actually smart. You know, what I found is is you can get a lot of things to be smart if you take all your light switches and turn them all on and then do, you know, put in bulbs and things like that. Um, but that's weird because then the light switches are all on and they don't, you know, you can't turn them off or the whole thing breaks because then there's no power going to these smart devices, right? So what you need to do is rethink how power gets to devices and then those switches on the wall are actually just talking to the smart devices um but they don't actually they aren't actually connected to the if you want switches on the wall at all i mean it all starts to unravel um so so you can't do that so instead you kind of go from the other direction which is you start adding little things here and there and and you know how long do you want to rip your part, your house apart to rewire it to get it to support some stuff? You can't, you know. We upgrade our phones every year or two. We don't upgrade our houses every year or two, like to a brand new house and throw away the old house or recycle the old house. So, um, and there's new tech because this is all moving so fast. So you keep on, you know, throwing out the old light bulb that is perfectly fine as a light bulb, but is it doesn't support the latest firmware that does something neat. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, area because it like, um, like the smartwatches, this feels like an area that everybody's trying lots of stuff and nobody really has it right. And it feels like it's early days and, and it's going to be a while before it all, um, it all settles out. I, I would be hard pressed to recommend any smart home product to a not tech savvy person right now and say, no, no, you should totally get a whatever because you'll love it i i feel like these aren't objects of love yet they are more like curiosity hmm. yeah that's a good way of putting it and and we're really early in this and to considering what this stuff is out setting out to do i think it's best that it just stays within people that are really interested in technology yeah you know because this stuff is going to change a lot and there's going to be problems with it and you know, at least for for a while, where everybody's going to be upgrading their stuff every couple of years. Yeah, yeah, and and the standards are gonna are gonna fight, and some are gonna win, and some are gonna lose, and in the end, there'll probably be a a kind of an acceptance that everything is going to interoperate, and uh, that'll and that'll be good. I actually, you know, who I really pity is the people who are buying new homes right now, like n- newly built homes that are being built by somebody who thinks they know what smart home features are going to be because I think that's going to be the worst scenario because you're going to, you know, potentially, I don't know if this is actually happening, but I assume it is somewhere. When I go visit my mother, they're building like 8,000 houses around her in Arizona. Um, I assume that somebody's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to wire you for smart home and it's got all this stuff. And then that is, your house is going to be out of date in a few years. That's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you need to, to take your house and get it updated. Yeah, I need a house upgrade. Well, that'll cost many thousands of dollars. What kinds of things are you looking for from this? Like, what what are the things that you want to be able to do that you can't do? 
I don't know. I mean, some of it, like the lighting is a good example where it's like, I like the idea of having lighting that changes based on conditions, but whether it's based on, on the weather or light or, or like light in the house, how much light is getting into your house or time of day. Um, and I have set that up for the two bulbs that are outside with the light switch that's permanently on now. Um, and that's all based on time and, and stuff like that. I like that idea, but again, I've got banks of light switches in my house and the wiring is what it is. And, and that's a good example of like, well, if all the lights were smartly controlled and, and could be programmed and all of that, that would be kind of neat. But that is that there's so much overhead there that it's, it's just, it's just never going to happen. And, you know, yeah. Tying it in with my weather station and my thermostat and having them all talk to each other and be able to make uh, interesting decisions about what we want to do at a certain time of day or night and, you know, the TV comes on and we're watching a show and it knows that when I'm watching TV in the living room after eight o'clock, I want this bank of lights off. I want that bank of lights off. I want this bank of lights at 40 percent, you know, and uh, I just I just do that all now. And it's fine. I flip all the switches and I'll sit down to watch a show and I will realize that the certain lights are on that I that I'm seeing a reflection in the TV set and I need to turn them off. I uh, eventually that stuff should all be sort of like, oh, I, I see what you're doing. And I know how you want the house or, or the very least you could say, Hey, could you put me in, you know, TV in, in movie theater mode or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, it's just, there's so much complexity there and I'm not willing, nor do I think it would be wise for me to invest in something cause it's too early, right? I, I don't see some shining system out there that I'm like, yes, if I buy that controller and rewire my entire house and put in all these light bulbs and all these places and have the, all these other sensors, suddenly it'll, you know, it, it, that tech is not, it's not good enough yet. It's not, it's not all here yet, but I think that's the, I think that's the dream is like for all of the stuff that's in your house, maybe even down to the, the tea maker and, and stuff to be able to talk to each other. Maybe not the tea maker. I just want the tea maker to, you know, the tea maker needs to talk to the robot butler. That's the important part. It really, I feel like a lot of this is about the tea maker and the robot butler. Sure, you got to get a robot butler. That's that's the missing piece in every smart home of the future is a robot butler to bring you things. Thanks, Jeeves. Mm-hmm. Should we do some ask upgrade? I think it's time. Hashtag ask upgrade. Brought to you by MailRoute. You know, IT departments are always expected to do more with less. That's true this year as well. And yeah, that includes uh, blocking spam and stopping virus attacks. Unfortunately, a lot of the trusted hardware and software options out there for this stuff have been sunsetted, as we might say in California. Looking over the Pacific Ocean, they've been sunsetted. They've reached the end of their life. They've been pushed out on the ice flow. Postini went away, MX Logic. So who do you trust to do the job well and stick around? The answer is MailRoute. MailRoute protects your email and your hardware against spam viruses and other attacks, and they are the mail experts. They have been doing this for years. This is what they they focus on, just email protection. Since 1997, uh, that was when I started at Macworld, by the way. That's a long time, folks. That's a long time, and that's all they've been doing is email. Uh, it's an easy-to-use interface. It's loaded with administrative tools. They've got an API. It's designed to make your life spam-free. I've talked to people who run mail servers who say it's they've reclaimed uh, these domains that they've had for a long time. One of my, my domain, actually, it has been out there. My email address has been out on like every internet server and usenet and everything for decades now and you know what happens that those get harvested and they just get spammed 
and spammed and spammed. And by putting mail route between your domain's mail server and the internet, all the spam never reaches you. It never, it, it not, not even to go into your junk folder, it stays at mail route. They filter it out. You can go and check it later if you want to laugh at the bad spam that's out there uh, or find something good and have it delivered and train it not to send that to you anymore. But it, you can bring these domains that have this huge burden of spam just constantly connecting to your server. Uh, you can you can make it go away because MailRoute is there to block it for you. They support LDAP. They support Active Directory. They support TLS. They support mail bagging. Mail bagging! They support outbound relay... Relay FM, uh, all the great shows, everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. It's all there because these are the email experts. They have price matching for McAfee and MX Logic customers. So stop spam today with a free 30 day trial of MailRoute. Go to mailroute.net slash upgrade. Listeners of this show will get 10% off for the lifetime of their account, not for one day or one week or one month or one year, but for the lifetime of your MailRoute account. You can also send an email to MailRoute. They're very friendly, they're very nice people. Sales at mailroute.net mailroute protects your email from spam and viruses that's it that's all they do they do it better and have been doing it longer than everyone else so go to mailroute.net slash upgrade thank you mailroute for supporting hashtag ask upgrade i sit the whole time just waiting waiting for the word <laughs> wondering what i'm gonna do waiting for the word mm-hmm. first from our essential enemy it would appear yes uh, do you feel as though the impactful size of the iPad Pro has normalized after months of usage? I found that it normalized for me very quickly, like mm. within days. Yeah, it. so my wife's got a uh, an iPad Air. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I picked it up the other day and I'm like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> it's so tiny. Um, you do lose perspective after a while with the iPad Pro. I... I when I pick it up, I still recognize that it's a really big iPad. I mean, the, the that hasn't gone away, but uh, it's changed, and it, it it is normalized to a certain degree, I would say. I, w- I wouldn't say 100% essential enemy, but I would say, uh, yeah. There, there was a moment, in fact, where um, when I was in Arizona visiting my mom, where I was working on my iPad Air, or uh, my, uh, my MacBook Air, and uh, it's an 11-inch MacBook Air, and uh, I pulled out the old... Uh, the old uh, iPad Pro, and I realized, oh my god, this is so much larger than the display on the laptop. Like, so much larger. And that was, it was a funny moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I when I pick it up, I can still feel it, and I'm like, boy, this is a big iPad, but um, it definitely seems normal now. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Like, yeah. Uh, it's my iPad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing how that works. In fact, I uh, I uh, picked up my son's iPad Mini the other day, and I was like, "Wow, this is like, yeah, this might as well be an iPhone at this point." Yeah, Adina uses an iPad Mini, and I think it's hilarious. I think what's amazing about it is it's got all the pixels of the iPad Air, and and, and if you've got the Mini Four, it's got most of, if not all, not quite all, but most of the power of the iPad Air too. So the iPad Mini is a a an impressive bit of hardware, but it's just com- Compared to the iPad Pro, it's just kind of staggering how they, you know, they're they're the little tiny dogs that can fit in a teacup, and then they're the they're like Great Danes, and they're they're all dogs, but boy, are they different sizes. That was a very weird analogy to to make. But they right? I mean, the iPads come in all sizes. It is definitely correct, but lots of things come in different sizes. Yeah, I suppose. I was thinking about it. we had, we were dog sitting uh, this week for a couple of days, um, and. Uh, 
I feel like my dog is a normal size of dog, but this was a an enormous golden retriever, mm-hmm. and my dog looked like the like the little mini sidekick dog compared to this dog. And my dog is not tiny, but not compared to this dog. So I was thinking about dog sizes. More questions on the iPad Pro. Uh, JR wrote in, uh, my biggest iPad Pro gripe is it does not allow you to split the on-screen keyboard. This is very weird. I, I thought that this was crazy uh, when I first tried the iPad Pro that you couldn't do a split-screen keyboard because it feels like the only iPad that really needs it, right? Right, because it's so it's so wide, and if you want to hold it with two hands and thumb type, you would want it to be split because there's no way you can stretch your thumbs across the width of the screen and Mm -hmm. it's got so much screen that you could leave that keyboard up and you've still got huge amounts of screen space that are not covered by it but yet they took it out or they didn't build it for the ipad pro keyboard is probably a more accurate statement because that's a new keyboard that they built and they didn't build in the the split i think it's weird right i mean there 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 are a lot of apple made some choices with the ipad pro um because they had to rebuild some things that they couldn't just bring over from the original you know set of ipad you know screen sizes and uh this is one of them uh the the you know the height of the number keys i keep mistyping on the number keys because they're they're short that that bothers me the pen the question about how pen the pencil gets used is a question there's a lot of little quirks i mean it's definitely part of having the first iteration of a product is that there's stuff like this that you you wonder why is it like this nobody knows yeah somebody knows they're not talking. Jeff wanted to know, this is harking back to a little bit of discussion from earlier, do you think Apple will either end the 16 gigabyte base model iPhone or their ultra stingy, uh, Jeff's words, five gigabytes mm. of free iCloud storage? Do you think that either of these things are going to go away? I mean, on an well, infinite, on an infinite time, time scale, scale. <laughs> everything <laughs> changes. Uh, it's got to happen. And I happen. had to search for that bell. I didn't know where it was. I turned around and I had to scoot across the room. Yep. But I found it. It's, uh, if I had to predict, I would. I will once again predict. I think the 16 is going to go away this year on the on the uh, on the iPhone 7 um, and the iCloud. I don't know. They had they changed the pricing. They had the opportunity right there and they didn't do it. I feel like they need to. I think that's actually a huge. Um, and I've ranted about this before here. I think that's a huge user experience problem that they've got is so many people have an iphone and an ipad and they can't use their icloud storage and you know give away basic backups you know just give it away give away basic backups and then try to get them hooked on more services above that but i feel like you should have uh when you buy a new apple device the basic the basic backup of data on those devices should just be covered and then if you want to go up, I'd also, if they wanted to keep the five gigabyte, I would say, can we make it additive so that all of your active devices on a particular Apple ID get five gigabytes toward your iCloud allotment? Um, that might be another way of doing it because I, I hear that from people all the time. They're like, it's, it's telling me I can't back up. And the last thing you want is for your iPhone not to be backed up. And I, I appreciate that Apple wants to do services and make more services revenue, but I think there should be a base of the free uh, iCloud storage and it should be based on what is a reasonable amount for somebody to back up um, per device. So, but that one I'm I'm less sure that Apple um, thinks of that as an issue, which is surprising because I actually think it's uh, a big issue. And finally, today from Chris, if you could spend the day with any celebrity, who would it be? 
I think about this and I know that I will probably have a better answer if I thought about it every day for the next two weeks. But I think one of the obvious ones for me is Stephen Fry because he seems like such a lovely and very interesting person. Um, I've been a big fan of Stephen Fry for many years and I would very much like to spend the day with him and just talk to him because he would I'm sure he'd always have stuff to talk about as well, which, you know, and, and having had a very brief conversation with Stephen Fry once, um, he is very personable and seems like a very, very nice guy. Mm. Uh, I don't think I have a good answer here. Mm. I've been thinking about it and I'm not sure I've got a good answer. I'm not sure I want to spend a day with a celebrity. Oh. I kind of I don't want to bug them. Yeah, but they're happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It would be interesting. It would be an interesting to spend a day with somebody like like the president of the United States or the prime minister of Great Britain um, or, hey, the FBI director. What the heck? <laughs> that would be an interesting day. Um, but in terms of like celebrity, like a musician or a or, or a, a, an actor or a writer or something like that, I don't I don't know if I have huge you know, huge desires in that. I, I, I'll uh, parachute me into wherever they're brainstorming the new, um, the new Star Trek movie. Maybe I would, maybe I could just be a fly on the wall there or uh, I don't know some, or somebody who made something that I really love. Like let's say Joss Whedon, maybe who, you know, Buffy is my favorite TV show ever. And uh, I don't know what he's doing. And I might catch him on a bad day where he's just sort of like sitting on the couch watching reruns. But um, that would be an interesting person to have a conversation with since he's created some stuff that I really love. But I don't know. I'm not a celebrity person, I guess. I, I I don't know. I always find that that awkward. Whenever I see famous people, I kind of like want to give them their space and run away from them and not talk to them. Even if it's in a perfectly reasonable environment where I should talk to them, I am always like too like shy and I kind of just want to. When I saw George Lucas eating lunch, I just was like, my gift to you, George Lucas, is I'm not going to bother you. Because if I did bother you, I'd have some things to say. Well, that was before the prequels, but Uh, let me tell you, yeah. After the prequels, would you still have left him alone? (laughs) I would have um, scowled and left him alone, yeah. I think that brings us to the end. I think so. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 77. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you'd like to support us, you can support our lovely sponsors the great people over at mail route fresh books and smile pdf pen this week thank you to them for helping us out this week if you'd like to find jason online he's over at sixcolors.com the incomparable.com and he is at jsnell on twitter i am at imike i-m-y-k-e and i write the occasional thing over at mikewasright.com if you would like to find us on the twitter with the show that's an interesting (laughs) way to phrase that sentence it is underscore upgrade fm Jason tweets from that account every now and then, uh, and it's it's always fun to see. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, Mr. Hurley. Goodbye.